Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that our practice is to obey your word and live according to your ways. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what is Christmas all about? You can get lots of different answers in our culture as to what Christmas is all about. But we know that Christmas is about remembering the birth of God's Son by the Virgin Mary and that wonderful nativity scene that we see so often depicted of the baby in the manger. And Luke records this event so well for us. If you'd like to turn with me, it's always good for us to read uh, the Bible's account of the birth of the Lord Jesus in Luke's Gospel. Turn with me to page 1014, but keep your finger in Galatians chapter 3, as we will be returning to there in a moment. But let us remind ourselves of the events of the first Christmas, so to speak, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 1. We read what Christmas is all about. Luke chapter 2, page 1014, if you have a church Bible. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. If you'd like to continue reading this afternoon, you're more than welcome to do so, uh, that you can read about the shepherds, and, uh, and the angels appearing to the shepherds and their response. But this is a good reminder to us of what the first Christmas is all about and what Christmas reminds us of today, the birth of the Lord Jesus. But why bother celebrating Christmas? Why bother celebrating the birth of this man called Jesus of Nazareth so many years ago? Well, in order to understand why we want to celebrate it, we have to understand the bad news before we, understand, and before we hear the good news. And I invite you to turn back with me to page 1153 to Galatians chapter 4, where we see there that all mankind was in slavery to the law. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. We were in slavery to the law, and we were in slavery to sin then, and slavery under Satan. And this is bad news. Why? because we are all bad slaves. We have not kept God's ways as we should. And what happens to bad slaves, those who are not obedient to their master, who do not keep his ways? Well, we understand from the book of Galatians that they are people who are cursed. Chapter 3, verse 10, look with me back to the page before, the one that we read before, page uh, 1152, chapter 3, verse 10 of Galatians, it says, "'All who rely on observing the law are under a curse.'" For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. God has given us his law, many commandments, and we have failed to keep them. We have not loved our neighbour as ourselves, and we have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And so we have been bad slaves, and we are under a curse. But what is the good news? What is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, the good news is that God loved us and sent his son that first Christmas. 
And that's what we read of in verse 4. We read of our slavery in verse 3, but in verse 4 we read, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Why is this so wonderful? Why is it good news that God would send his son, born of a woman, born under law? Well, it's because he didn't remain a child, but he grew up and he redeemed those who are cursed under the law. What do we read in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Galatians? To redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. God has redeemed us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. By his death, on behalf of those who trust in him, they are redeemed. They are set free. The, the ransom price has been paid. And so they are considered good slaves now. In fact, more than that. What are they considered? What did we read in verse 5? Or read from verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, that we might be adopted into God's family. Not a slave, a servant of him per se, but a son. Of course, we still serve him as his servants, but we are recognised as sons of God if we trust in Jesus Christ because of his work in dying in our place. And why is that so wonderful to be a son of God? Well, we are then heirs. If you're a child of someone, then you are an heir of that person. And so what is theirs becomes yours. And we see that said to us in verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 of chapter 4 of Galatians says, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And God is a very, very wealthy parent. And he gives what to his children? He gives them eternal life in heaven itself, in a city whose architect and builder is God himself, with streets of gold, in a place of perfect peace. This is what he gives to his children. And he does it by his son's work at the cross and then the Holy Spirit, as we see described there in verse 6, coming into our hearts and applying the precious blood of Christ Jesus to our sinful hearts, and washing them clean, setting us free from the curse of the law. We're no longer damned in hell, but instead we will be set free and rejoice with God himself in heaven. And so why do we remember Christmas? Well, it reminds us of the great love of God in sending his son to save those who trust in him. Why do we need reminding? Why do we celebrate Christmas each year? Why is it a good thing for us to do? Well, there are many reasons uh, why we can celebrate Christmas, but one reason is because our faith is small at times. It can be quite small. And Christmas can strengthen our faith, can increase our faith. Why can our faith dwindle? Why can it be weakened? Why can it be small? Well, there's many reasons why our faith can be hindered, why our trust in God can be hindered in some way, including the process of time. Time can weaken our faith. How? Well, when we consider that God's people have been waiting for their inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth, to be made for roughly 2,000 years. It's a while. It's taken time. And we're still counting. The new heavens and the new earth are not here yet. We are not in heaven itself. And what happens when people have to wait? 
and wait a long time for children that may be 20 minutes? What happens when people have to wait thousands of years and look back and see that something has still not come? Well, they start to doubt. They start to doubt that the inheritance is really coming. They start to doubt that the good thing that has been promised is really going to come. And so what does Christmas remind us of? How does Christmas strengthen our faith, increase our faith? Well, it does it in many ways. But one way that I think is helpfully put forward by the Apostle Paul so many years ago is contained for us in verse 4 of chapter 4 of Galatians. And what is that? That God's timing is perfect. Look with me at verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. For thousands of years, God's people had been waiting for the Messiah. They'd been waiting for the Messiah to come and redeem them from their sin. How'd they know that the Messiah was coming? Well, he was prophesied about with Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, God promised then that a son would come through the line of Eve and that he would crush the head of the serpent. And then repeatedly through history, a Messiah was promised that there would be this Christ, this Saviour would come for God's people. And what happened throughout history then? Many people thought that the Messiah had come as baby boys were born, people would think, is this going to be the one, the Messiah, who will save God's people? But again and again, it was proven that he was not the one who would save God's people. And then what happened? Well, God's son came at the precise time that God had chosen. Now, why was that time such a good time for Jesus to come? Why was that a good time in comparison to any other time that he could have come? Well, there's lots of reasons that have been suggested, and I'll give you a few of those this morning, but most of them tend to look at the way that it was a perfect time when the Lord Jesus came, when he was born roughly 2,000 years ago. It was a perfect time for the news of Jesus Christ, the news of the gospel, to travel quickly and favourably throughout the world. It was the right time politically, the Romans had conquered much of Europe, and so there was peace between the nations. Migration from one nation to another was possible. And Roman roads had been developed, and so you could travel quickly and efficiently between nations in a way that you hadn't been able to do, which meant that the good news of Jesus Christ could go farther and farther than it would have been at other points earlier in history. And urban civilization had developed so that large groups of people were in city centers. And so you could go to a city area and talk to a lot of people very quickly about the Lord Jesus, that the Messiah had come. So it was the right time politically. What else was it? It was the right time culturally. There was a common language throughout the Roman Empire through Alexander the Great conquering from Greece, and so Greek was a common language throughout the empire. Most people would understand Greek or have people who could interpret for them who were bilingual and would know Greek. And there was even a popular Greek translation available of the Old Testament so that people could read in the Greek language about the prophecies about the Messiah who was to come. And so they could see that the Lord Jesus fulfilled those prophecies without having to learn Hebrew and a bit of Aramaic in order to understand the Jewish writings. 
And it was not just the right time politically and not just the right time culturally, but it was also the right time religiously. Why? Well, Greek and Roman pagan religion was waning. People were not as interested in the Greek and Roman gods. And Greek philosophy, which had been seen to be something that was going to be helpful for mankind to understand their place through Plato and other philosophers of the time, it was contested. You look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul goes to Athens, people love to hear new ideas. They're all debating ideas. Why? Because they're dissatisfied with the current ideas. The time was ripe to hear about a Messiah who really would save men. Scepticism was prevalent at the time. And, but there was also then, a, a, it was an age of religious toleration. It was the right time religiously because people were tolerant of other religions. Even the Jewish monotheism was protected in some ways by the Roman Empire so that people could share the good news about Jesus as the Messiah and it was tolerated at first. Of course, in time they were persecuted, but there was a toleration extended from the Romans and you can read about that in the book of Acts. Also, in one sense, there was a religious appetite at the time because of the immorality that was prevalent amongst the people. Pagan immorality was heightened and you can Look at a place like Corinth and the immorality that was, it was notorious for. And so there was an appetite for people to share the good news about Jesus who would save them from sin, save them from the consequences of sins, but even save them from the power of sin in their life. And Jewish synagogues were throughout the Roman Empire and lots of places in the Roman Empire so that a Jew could come with the news of the Messiah, come to a Jewish synagogue and there was a centre for people to then to come and hear about the Lord Jesus there. And we also see that the Jews had an appetite because they had again and again shown that they had failed to keep the laws of God themselves. And so there was a desire to hear about justification, being right with God by faith alone. Not by your works as we see here in Galatians refuted, but by faith in the Messiah. So it was just the right time, as we look back now, that this was a right time politically, it was a right time culturally, and it was a right time religiously. And so we see, with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God's timing was perfect for the first Christmas. It was the fullness of time. It's like the, uh, the hourglass. And as the sand comes down, the hourglass, the bottom was full and it was just the right time for Jesus to come so that the news of this Messiah, this one who would save God's people, would travel quickly and be received favourably. Whereas if human timing had been taken into consideration, they would have wanted the Lord Jesus immediately. And then the spread of the gospel may have been hampered in many ways. But that is looking back with hindsight. We can look back and say, oh, look, we can see so many factors make sense that Jesus should come at that time. But what did people have to do at that time? Did they know that it was the right time politically, the right time culturally, the right time religiously? No. They were swimming in the culture, but they didn't know that this was a good time for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the perfect time, according to God. What could they do? Well, they could only trust. They could trust God that he was going to give them the Messiah at some point. And all they could do was strengthen their faith in his timing. How could they do that? How could people of God strengthen their faith when it had been thousands of years since Adam and Eve and this prophecy that a Messiah would come and crush the head of Satan? How could they strengthen their faith that even though it's been thousands of years, 
Our Messiah will come. How could they have strong faith? Well, it was by reading God's word. By doing the same thing that we're doing today. Reading God's word. Why? Because they could then see God's actions in the past and see that his timing was always perfect. That he always, at just the right time, acted in the past and fulfilled many of his promises in the past. You want to see someone acting at just the right time, see God acting at just the right time, read the book of Esther. It's very entertaining as a read, but you see at just the right time things happen. And you see God's timing is always perfect. And so that's what the people of God could do. For years, as they're waiting for this Messiah, they could look at God's word and see that his timing was perfect in God's word. His actions were always at the right time. But they could also look at their own life. They could look at God's providence, we call it, the way he acts in our lives. They could look at their own life and see that God's timing was perfect. For the different things that happened in their life, the perfect time to get married, the perfect time to have children, the perfect time to get this job, the perfect time to move into this other area, all the big decisions of life that often we want straight away, they could look back and see, ah, it really was the best time for that to happen. And they could reflect upon God's timing then and then look forward to the future and see that God will bring his Messiah at the perfect time. I can trust him to know when is best because I can see how he acted at just the right time in the past with God's people in the Bible and he's acting at the right time in my life. And it's the same for us as believers today as we wait not for that first Christmas. First Christmas has been, we just read of it in Luke's Gospel. But what do we wait for now? Well, we wait for our inheritance. We wait for our inheritance. We wait for eternal life. We wait for the new heavens and the new earth. And it's like we're waiting for Christmas presents. What happens with Christmas presents? Well, we see the Christmas presents, they're under the tree. And we still have to wait. We can see them there, but we have to wait. What do we have to wait for? We have to wait for Christmas Day, don't we? Well, in some traditions, it's Christmas Eve. I like the idea of adopting that tradition, opening them on Christmas Eve, because I always want the presents earlier as well. But we have to wait. They're under the tree, we can see them, but we have to wait for the day. But even then, we still have to wait, don't we? Well, in some households, we do. What do we have to wait for? We have to wait for the parents to pass the presents out. And why is that? Because the parents know the best time, the perfect time for opening presents. What do children think is the perfect time? They think the perfect time for a Christmas present is the day it's purchased. <laughs> Immediately as that receipt comes out of the machine, that is when would be a great time to receive the Christmas present. But what do parents think? Well, parents know that gifts, Christmas gifts are meant to point us to the greatest gift which is Jesus Christ himself. And so it's best to do it on Christmas Day. It's best to do it on Christmas Day where we're thinking about, we're coming to church, we're hearing Christmas carols, we're thinking about the indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore those gifts point to him. The parents also know that it's more enjoyable for everyone if we open the presents in front of everyone, not just on your own, that you don't just get up on Christmas morning at 2am, run down to the tree and open them there with nobody around. That's not very enjoyable for everybody else. It may be enjoyable for you, doesn't give much glory to the parents for what they've done in wrapping the presents and purchasing the parents. It's much better for everyone to open the gifts in front of everyone. And it's the same with waiting for our inheritance, our gift from God. 
our gift of eternal life in heaven itself. We who believe are children of God. God is our Father. That's what we learn from Galatians chapter 4 there, that we have been adopted into his family and have the full rights of sons and daughters in his kingdom. And as children, we then have to recognise that if we are children, we aren't competent to judge the best time for anything. We think the best time to receive something good is now. Like that child at the register, as the receipt pops out, that's the best time for the gift. But what does God think? God thinks his timing is perfect. For maximum glory for him and maximum joy for all his children. He thinks his timing is perfect. And so what are we called to do as children? Not judge when the right time should be. We are called to simply trust deeply that our inheritance will come at the perfect time and not doubt. And how do we do that? Well, by remembering the Father's promise. He has promised that we will receive our inheritance at the perfect time. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, we read, And he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, that is, Christ. He has a perfect time, and it will be fulfilled, and then he will bring all things under one head, and that is, Christ. And so what are we called to do as children? Well, it's like children with our earthly parents. They say, we're going to get a gift. What are we called to do? We're to trust their word that they have promised we will get our gift. And if we doubt, what do we do? Well, we read of God's fulfilment of promises in the past. We want to check that God's word is faithful and true. Well, we look at his promises in the past in the scriptures and we see that again and again he has kept his word. Even when it takes thousands of years, he has kept his word. And what's one of the big ways that we can do that? It's by looking at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're doing today. This is why we celebrate Christmas, is so that we can reflect upon God's faithfulness in fulfilling a promise from thousands of years earlier and hundreds of years earlier through the centuries that he did give the Messiah. And how else can we increase our faith in God's promises? Well, it's by looking at God's actions in our lives. They come with perfect timing. Our adoption, our becoming a Christian, came at just the right time. But small things happen in our lives day to day. If we will open our eyes and look and we see how God has acted at just the right time. If he'd given it to us earlier, it wouldn't have been a good time. We would have thought it was a good time, but now that circumstances and we look back, we can see that it wouldn't have been a good time. And we can do it with the big things. One of the joys of a Christian life is looking back at your life and seeing things happen and saying, oh, I can see why I did that then. If you want to have some conversations with people later today, ask a Christian, how has God's timing been perfect with some of the events in your life? And they should be able to give you several, even from possibly the last few weeks or months, where God acted at just the right time. And they can see that now, but at the time, they couldn't see it. But now they look back and their faith is increased in God. 
that his promises will be fulfilled because his timing is always perfect. And that's what happens when we look at the first Christmas. As we look at the first Christmas and we're reminded, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. When we see this, our faith is increased. It's not decreased. Our faith is increased. Why? Because we know that God always keeps his appointments. Some of us are better at keeping appointments. Some of us are not so good at keeping appointments. God always keeps his appointments. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. And as we look in Scripture, we see that. As we look at our lives, we see that too. And so what are we like? Well, as people of God, we're like children who can't tell the time. We can't tell the time. The clock doesn't make any sense to us. But we trust God can tell the time. And we trust him for what? We trust him for our gifts at just the right time, particularly our inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. And so what do we do? We wait in faith. We wait in trust of our Heavenly Father, looking at our Father for his timing, not doubting, but knowing that God, our Father, will give us our gifts. But if we do doubt, what do we do? Well, we read of the Father's actions in the past and see that he always keeps his word. And when we doubt, what else do we do? We look at his actions in our lives and see that he always brings about things at his timing, which is perfect. And what then happens as our faith is increased and our doubts flee away? Well, we become like those children on a Christmas day in front of the Christmas tree, and they can see some presence there. There's presence that they can't even see. And they're bouncing eagerly. Why? Because they know the time is coming. And parents will give them their presence eventually. It's not a case of they will never be given out. It's a case of they will be given out. And so they bounce eagerly with anticipation. But if you're not a child of God and you're here this morning, you shouldn't be waiting with joyful anticipation for an inheritance. You shouldn't be bouncing up and down, eagerly waiting for an inheritance. What should you be doing? Well, you should be waiting with dread. Why? Because you're still under the law. You're still a slave of sin. And why is that a problem? Because you are then under a curse. You're a slave to the law and you see again and again that you sin against God. And so you reflect on the fact that you have not been a good slave and you will be punished. And God's punishment for bad slaves is all of eternity in hell. And so what do you still need? You still need to be redeemed. You still need to become an heir of God, an heir of eternal life in heaven. What do you need? You need the Holy Spirit to come into your heart now and apply the, Spirit, uh, the Son's work, his blood at the cross so many years ago to your heart so that you're adopted by God and have eternal life in heaven. But thankfully, there's still time for you now. Why haven't believers, why haven't Christians received their inheritance? Why aren't we in heaven right now, in the new heavens and the new earth? Well, there's many reasons, and we trust God and his timing. But one reason is actually given to us in Scripture. God is patiently waiting for unbelievers to repent. 
so that more children of God will be added to his family. And we read that in 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn with me to page 1205. Page 1205. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, page 1205, where we read the Apostle Peter writing, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years... I like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Why is God not making the new heavens and the new earth now, now, now? It's because he's he's in patience giving opportunity for believers now, now to repent. Unbelievers, sorry, now, now to repent. Right here, right now, as you may hear my voice, and you're not one who trusts in Jesus. You're not one who is part of his family. You're not one of his heirs. Every moment that goes past, he is being patient and giving you an opportunity to repent because his patience will one day be done and he will destroy what is here, and make the new heavens and the new earth for his children, and there will be no opportunity to repent in hell. And so I encourage you, look at God's perfect timing with the first Christmas and realise that he will keep his promise. Don't doubt God's promise and timing. Turn to him now and receive the rights of sons of God. And then what should you do? Anticipate your inheritance, your wonderful inheritance in heaven itself with faith and joyful anticipation, like a child knowing the gifts are right there. They're at the door. 
or at the Christmas tree. They're right there. That is how we are as Christians. Any moment could be the day we receive our inheritance. And so what do we do? We shoo away doubts by seeing the Father's perfect timing in his word and watching his providence, his work in our lives, and seeing his timing again and again has been perfect. And so trusting him more deeply that he will act as he has said and he will give his inheritance to his children, even if it takes a few thousand more years. He will give his children their inheritance. Let us come to him in prayer. Let's speak with our God. Heavenly Father, we praise you as our Father who knows all things and always does what is right and good at just the right time. Forgive us, O Lord, for doubting your faithfulness and help us to trust your promises and to wait patiently and joyfully for their fulfilment. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is not one of your children, who is not an heir of yourself, O Lord, we pray that they would repent and trust in you now. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would act upon their heart now and that they would trust in you and become an heir of yourself right now and then begin to wait with joyful expectation for our inheritance in heaven. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.